Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. here every week, and hopefully you have this drilled into your head uh, to a certain extent, not that it is rote recitation, but that it is clear understanding. We are here every Sunday to know God and make him known. The goal is that you and I will have an experience with our Heavenly Father, and we will know him more intimately. To know is not just knowledge, it is experiential, biblically. And so we want to experience God, and we also want to make him known to the world around us, which begins with with sharing the truth of who he is and continues in inviting others to experience him along with us, whether it's in our own time together as friends and relatives or here on a Sunday morning. So as we get to know God and make him known, we wanted to answer a question this fall. And and it is, you know, what is a Christian? How do we do the Christian life? What does it mean? How is it that we are Christians? And what does it look like to live the life that we were saved for? And so hopefully over the last couple of weeks, you've uh, come alongside and you've remembered with me that a Christian, when we answer this question, what is a Christian? Because we can't know how to be one until we know what one is. A Christian is a disciple, a learner, a follower who has submitted their whole life to Jesus. There is no in-between. You cannot call yourself a Christian and say, I believe in Jesus and the good things that he did for me and I like what he did on the cross, but I don't like following him. No, genuine Christianity, genuine discipleship is to submit your whole life to Jesus. And we've talked about that a little bit last week, that to be a Christian, to be a disciple is to be a learner. And what does it mean to be a learner? We, we want to realize it's not just about head knowledge, though there is some, yeah, you got to know God's word. You got to know the Bible. You need to know the, the historicity of it and, and the way it lays out. But you also need to understand that you bring nothing to the table when it comes to being a disciple other than yourself. You don't bring any great wisdom. You don't bring any great knowledge. God is not looking down from heaven saying, ooh, I wish this person would come and follow me because they have so much to offer. No, when we come to Jesus, we are called as disciples to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow after him every day. That is what we are supposed to be doing. And why do we do that? Because we don't have the answers. He does. We don't have the wisdom. He alone does. And so if we come into this relationship thinking that Jesus really needs what we have to offer, we are missing out on what it means to be a Christian. We are not living the Christian life as the Bible teaches it. Instead, we are living the good old American dream instead of the Christian life. So the Christian is a learner. And learners come and they understand new things about their Savior, about their Master, the one that they are following in discipleship all the time. And the, the first thing that, that many of us, in fact, most of us should discover about Jesus is the same thing that Thomas discovered 
following Jesus' resurrection. Thomas, if we read in scripture here in, in the gospel of John, he had been struggling with believing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. He had not seen the resurrected Jesus yet. He instead was among those disciples who had kind of missed out on all of the appearances of the resurrected Christ. And, and so here in John 20, Thomas is saying, look, all I gotta do is see him and touch him and then I'll believe. And guess what? Jesus shows up. Jesus reveals to Thomas the wound, says, here, stick your fingers in the hole if you have to. I'm here. I'm alive. I am resurrected. And Thomas's response was, my Lord and my God. That Thomas came to a place where he acknowledged the lordship and the deity of Jesus Christ. In that moment, he understood Jesus for who he really was. He understood him in the totality of his picture. He was not just some good dude who came and taught nice stuff, who maybe even died on the cross for, for the sins of those who would follow his teachings, but instead, Jesus is Lord and God. Romans 10.9 includes in this what it takes to be saved statement, this confession, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Now, it's important to understand that this, this statement, Jesus is Lord, is not some back here statement saying, yeah, he's a really good guy and he's powerful and I like him. But it's instead to acknowledge his deity, to acknowledge his dominion over your life, and to, to confess it not just, you know, secretly in your prayer closet, but before everyone who would ever ask, who's king of your life? Jesus is Lord. Our memory verse from this last week, 1 Corinthians 10.31, really speaks to what it is to celebrate, to live with Jesus as Lord of your life. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. That we are supposed to have a whole life that is focused on this one truth as Christians. That everything we do and everything we say and everything we are should put Jesus Christ first and foremost. That he is not to be some afterthought or some tack on. A lot of us, we, we get into experiences where we, 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 we bring Jesus along, but we just kind of talk to him every once in a while. You know, hey, Jesus, did you see that? Yeah, that was pretty cool. You know, and we kind of invite him into a few moments, but otherwise he's just this silent friend. We, we like having him here, but nah, we keep him off to the side. Hey, Jesus, you, you got a drink for me? Oh, cool. You know, we'll take whatever he has to offer. Uh, did you bring any snacks? But we forget to fall down at his feet and worship him as Lord. And, and this is what the, the Christian, the one who is living the life they were saved for, what they will realize. I don't like setting it there. Can you see that? No, it doesn't matter. You'll, you'll get the picture, right? Here we go. A crown and a cross, right? Jesus isn't just somebody to tack on in your life, not just an extra relationship, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you might go, well, what does that mean? Because we hear so many different things about, you know, well, what is Lord? What does it mean to, for Jesus to be your Lord? Well, let's look at some of the things that Scripture says about Jesus as Lord of all things. And then we'll look about what it means for Jesus to be Lord of your life and your things. So first, 
There in, in uh, Romans chapter 10, when we saw that statement about what it takes to be saved, to proclaim, to confess that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in, in, in essence, to declare him king of your life and God over all, the apostle Paul writes and, and kind of summarizes and says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this is an exciting verse because it tells us that it doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter our lineage. It doesn't matter the potential of our future. Everyone who proclaims Jesus as Lord will be saved. But what we don't understand sometimes is that the New Testament likes to quote the Old Testament a lot. And this is actually a quotation from the Old Testament. So the Apostle Paul is telling us when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's where he's quoting from Joel chapter 2 verse 32, the first part. And here's what the prophet Joel promised people in the Old Testament. He says this, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Except when it's translated Lord here, it's, it's in many of our Bibles, all uppercase. And so what that means is he is saying, everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Everyone who calls on the one true God will be saved. Now, what implication might we draw from this? When the Apostle Paul quotes this, he's referring to Jesus, the one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the Old Testament, it's Yahweh, the one true God. Who does Paul think Jesus is? The one true God of all creation. The one true God of the Old Testament, who is the one who started all of this, who chose the people of Israel, who worked through them, who made promises to Abraham and David and Moses. And the one true God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate. Now, we, we understand there are nuances. There is the Father, the Son, and the, the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. But they are the three persons of the one true God, Yahweh. So when Paul says this, when Paul tells us to call on the name of the Lord, to proclaim Jesus as Lord, he is saying without any equivocation, without any doubt, Jesus is God. And he is the God of the Old Testament. The same God you see working in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and on and on is the, the same God who came and was born and, and, and made, made flesh and lived a perfect and sinless life and died on the cross for your sins and mine and rose again on the third day and, and who has ascended into heaven to intercede for us. He is God. So when you call Jesus your Lord, when you call Jesus and you call on his name, you're not just calling on the name of some nice dude from back then. You are calling on God himself. He is not someone to be treated flippantly. He is not someone to be treated as an afterthought. When you cry out, Lord, save me, you're calling out to the one true God of all creation. Jesus is God. And if he's the God of the Old Testament, then we can take and look in the Old Testament and the things that are said of him there are true of him today. 
First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to First Chronicles chapter 29. If you've got the Bible app, it's in there as well. First Chronicles. So this is going to be some fun. We don't do a lot of Old Testament searching, right? Who even knows where First Chronicles is? Um, I have to sing a song to find it or just keep flipping, right? Or, or just keep first and second Kings and the Chronicles too. Okay, so I know where it is. It's right after Kings. Uh, so I found Kings. Now I got Chronicles. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 13. How do you know that a pastor forgot to prepare fully? He didn't put his bookmark in the passage that you're turning to so that he can look smarter than you. Um, oh, I know where that is. <laughs> First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. Here is uh, what's going on. David, King David, some of us are familiar with him. We, we know him, uh, you know, from the giant thing, from the adultery with the woman in the bathtub thing. Uh, we, we know him. Uh, you know, he sang a lot. He wrote a lot of psalms. He was a man after God's own heart. Here he is in the, the, the closing days of his life, the waning hours of his life. And he is going to worship and pray. And he says this, starting in verse 11, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Man, what a, what a great prayer. I mean, if I got up and just prayed that like extemporaneously, like right out of my heart, you guys would be like, oh, he is so spiritual. Man, this is, this is rich. This is a deep and beautiful prayer. And everything that David says of God here is true for Jesus. And so we look and, and we look at this first verse and he says, yours, Lord. Now, Lord, who is Lord? Well, Yahweh, the one true God. Yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty, everything beautiful, everything overwhelming, everything awe-inspiring is of God. Uh, it, it, you ever been to a beautiful place in your life? Some of us, you know, if we're going to like play that, that card, guys, it'd be like, well, yeah, when I was standing at the front of the aisle and she came walking in, it was the most beautiful place I've ever been. Uh, Shelly, I'm sorry, I don't really remember that day very well, uh, just because it was more than 20 minutes ago. And uh, I've got one of those memories. Yeah. Uh, really good at Trivial Pursuit, really bad at what's happened in my life more than the day ago. So, um, but, but everything beautiful, the edge of the Grand Canyon created by God, the, the most amazing place you've ever been, the, the most splendiferous everything you've ever experienced comes from the hand of God. And it is all of him and by him and for him. Everything in, in the heavens and on the earth belongs to who? Him. Nothing is yours. It doesn't matter if your mama wrote it in your underwear. Those don't belong to you. They belong to God. Everything belongs to God. The car you drive, the house you live in, the hair you may or may not have, it belongs to God. Everything is his. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over some. 
or those who submit to you or however we would like to. No, he is head, he is king, he is ruler over all. Riches and honor come from you. Where does every good and perfect gift come from? James chapter one, the brother of Jesus, he tells us every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting or shadow of change. Everything comes from our Lord. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Who is the source of everything in our life? God. God alone. When we say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, so often what we mean by Lord is I'll let him do nice things for me and I'll let him keep me out of hell. But to be a a, a biblical believer is to read passages like this and say, oh my goodness, this is the amazing God of all creation that I know personally. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise for your glorious name. Jesus is the source and ruler of all things, worthy of all thanks and praise. Anything that has come into your life has been from his hand. Anything and everything worth celebrating, worth enjoying, worth having has come to you from the hand of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we understand this isn't just some Old Testament uh, hoity-toity big speech kind of thing, but the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, says many of the same things, but with different words and specifically directed toward our Savior Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. So this isn't some sort of just Old Testament thing, but we understand that the very same creator God who is the source of all, Paul tells us, it's Jesus. He is the image. He's the one that we see the representation of the invisible God. We see him and we see God incarnate, fully revealed to us in in Jesus the man. And then everything is created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all things have been created through him and for him. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying he is more than just some great guy that we like a lot. He is the king of all creation. He is the source of everything. And just in case you were wondering, in heaven, on earth, what's not in heaven or on earth? Nothing. That encompasses everything, doesn't it? Visible, invisible, encompasses everything. And just in case you were wondering, all things created through him and not for us, but for him, for his glory, for his namesake, according to his good pleasure. 
He is before all things. In other words, he is the one that ordains things and sets them in motion and walks in them. And he also holds everything together. Some of you, you're wondering after a week like last week, right? What, what is it that keeps me together? It's Jesus. He is the one who holds even the, the, the smallest atomic particle together. His active will. And, and what can we say in all of this? We must, when we read things like this, when we understand who Jesus is, we must come to the same conclusion that Thomas does. Jesus is Lord. He is the ruler of all, the king of all creation, the creator who not only makes but goes before and sustains. He is the source of every good and perfect gift in this life. And yet... How do we treat him? How do we respond to him? And, and then to go so far as to put his name on our life. I'm a Christian and still treat him as though he were less than Lord of all. Why do we do that? Well, because it's what we as humans have always done. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Romans chapter 1. Verses 21 through 25. The, the, the book of Romans is just beautiful. Take some time, read it, come ask me all the questions that you write down because you're going to have a lot potentially, especially if you're newer in the faith, especially if you haven't taken the time to try and understand your salvation. Romans is an amazingly rich and meaty read that will have you going, what? from time to time, and then other times you'll be going, hallelujah, I don't even deserve the salvation I've got. Here's what we're told in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Where it talks about, it talks about, we know who God is, verse 20, because of creation. We can look around and see who he is. 21 through 25 says, this is our response to the lordship of Jesus Christ as human beings. For though they, we are they, all people are they. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Here's what we do as, as, as humans. Here's, here's our tendency. We look at the glory of God and we clearly understand it. In fact, Romans 1.20 says, it's just as clear as day to anyone who looks honestly. Just by creation, we know there is a God. He is creator and he is worthy of praise. But what do we do? What is our tendency? We trade the beautiful perfect, glorious God for things that are right in front of us. It says here, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, for, 
things that look like us, for things that look like birds and animals and reptiles. We get consumed with the things right in front of us. And instead of looking up to the glory of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we look down at the world around us and we choose that instead. We make a terrible exchange. We give up what is unpurchasable. We give up what is un- unknowable, what is, what is unsearchable, what is, what is irreplaceable in our lives. We give it up for things that are right in front of us. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Worshiping and serving the created things instead of the creator who is praised forevermore. Here it is. We have exchanged a glorious God for a fallen world. Now, this is our condition prior to salvation. But the thing is, is this is the condition we must be redeemed from. This is why it is so critical that we come to a place where we, we, we shift our love and our devotion from the things of this world to Jesus Christ. Because he is worthy. He deserves the praise. And yet, we continue to exchange his glory for the things in front of us. And if I were Jesus, and and first of all, we all know I could never be. Shelly especially knows I could never be Jesus because I have fallen so far short and I am so selfish and so in need of redemption. But if I were Jesus, I think my answer might be to you rejecting my glory, something along the lines of... Rubbing you out, stomping you down, killing you with lightning, maybe some fire. The flood didn't do it, so now it's time for pulling out the big guns. I thought the water would do it, but no. How about some fire? How about some electricity? How about zombies? I don't, I mean, anything. He could do it, right? That's what you deserve. When we trade the glory of God for the lies of this world, it's, we deserve death and punishment and destruction from this great and glorious God because we have told him, you are of no value to me. And, 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 and when we become Christians, sometimes we get to a place where we say, Jesus, I want the things I like from you, but I don't want all of you. And I don't want to glorify you in all that I do. Only Sundays, sometimes on a midday Bible study, and right before dinner, every time I promise to pray, and that'll be all for you, but the rest is for me. And we deserve, even as Christians with that kind of attitude, we deserve some slapping around. But here's what Jesus does to reassert his lordship. Here's what he does to proclaim to us once again that he is worthy and he alone is worthy of all of our praise. And I heard pages flipping, so I know some of you already turned to Philippians chapter 2. You're working ahead. I appreciate that. Your studiousness is noted. Um, But, you know, don't try and cheat. You're not going to get something extra special just because you turn faster than everybody else. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It, we could do a contest. First person to get there uh, gets one extra communion wafer next time we do communion. I'll give you a card. You can cash it in. Wouldn't that be great? Twice the body. Woo! 
Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. That was, that was a terrible rabbit trail. Please forgive me. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 begins to tell us how does Jesus reassert his lordship? Remember, we look in the Old Testament, it tells us he is king, he is Lord, he is creator. The New Testament, he is king, he is Lord, he is creator. The New Testament tells us all of us have rejected him as Lord. All of us have thumbed our nose at him and told him he is not worthy, that he, he is not the, the king of creation. Instead, we are going to worship creation itself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. If this were me, this verse would say, Michael came and stomped out everyone because that's what they deserved. But here's what it says Jesus does to reassert his lordship. Existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, it, it, it very clearly says that Jesus, instead of saying, I'm God and I deserve this, and stomping us out like we deserve, he does this. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus is Lord of all creation. He is God, the one true God. We reject him. And what does he do? Instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives up the rights and privileges of heaven. And he comes and he puts on human flesh. Not just in some sort of like pretend way, but he literally becomes fully human as we are. Lives a life of a servant. Read the gospels. What was Jesus' life like? He grew up in a humble home in a small village that was no longer, or, or uh, likely no larger than about 200 people. Some of you think you live, you live in Podunk. Nazareth would have been like super Podunk. And Jesus, Jesus grew up working with his hands. It, it says that he, most of us think he was a carpenter. Well, the word is actually tecton. It was, it was he was a builder which means he wasn't necessarily making little wooden spoons for everybody or, you know, bowls or sometimes he maybe made a table, but he was getting into all of it, stone and masonry and wood and his hands were dirty and they were probably scaly and they were covered in calluses. And Jesus wasn't some sort of little tiny dude. He would have been a, a man who knew how to work. He was a guy who, who probably worked for every meal he ever ate if it wasn't given to him by a disciple or someone following after him. He gave up all of the rights and privileges and lived a life harder than most of us have ever lived. And then, after doing that without sin, humbles himself to death on a cross. This is what the Lord of all creation does to reassert his lordship. He comes and he dies for us. He doesn't stand up in the clouds and say, all of you tiny little people worship me like I deserve. Instead, he comes down and he puts on the tiny little weak flesh that we have. And he lives and he dies and he rises again for our sin. And it says this. 
in the following verses, verses 9 through 11. For this reason, which reason? His willingness to be humble, to give of himself, to live a perfect sinless life, to be obedient to a terrible, horrible death on a cross for your sins and mine, to rise again on the third day. For this reason... God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How did he reassert his status of, as Lord? He didn't come down and, and threaten to punish us and beat us up and, and demand it. Instead, he came and he loved us to the point of giving his life for our sin. And that's why he's Lord for those who will follow after him. Worthy of having the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords, worthy of being worshiped by all. That's what it means. Every knee will bow. He will be worshiped as God, submitted to as King. And every tongue will confess. Every person will declare at some point, whether through choice or in final judgment, that Jesus Christ is Lord. This king, this ruler, the one that we've rejected, this Lord of all creation comes to us and says, I want to pay the price for your sin. Now will you follow me? Now will you submit to me? Now will you let me genuinely be your king? I gave you everything, and yet you still rejected me. So now I gave you myself. Will you choose me? Will you make me Lord of your life? Jesus declared his lordship by dying and rising again. When we look at the cross, when we see the empty tomb, we should not just see the payment for our sins. We should see that in this act, he is declaring he is Lord over all. He is king of all creation. And he's willing to die for his creation. Willing to die for his beloved, you and I. The ones that he would call to salvation. And so the question is, as we're, we're making this choice to follow after Jesus, are we really willing to make him Lord of our life, to submit to him as Lord of our life? Because the thing is, is he's already Lord, whether you acknowledge him or not. The question is, will you acknowledge him as your Lord now, willingly, and trust your whole life with him for eternity? Or will you declare him to be Lord and recognize his lordship on the day of judgment? Where in so doing you will have condemned yourself for eternity, separated from him because of the just consequences of your life of rejecting him as Lord. The hope would be that we would all join in with those that we see in Revelation. In Revelation 4.11, the, the creatures around the throne, the elders, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. 
May this be the, the, the cry of our life every day, that, that every moment of our lives we would acknowledge Jesus as Lord and we would make worshiping him as king and submitting to him as the ruler of our every moment of life a priority. Revelation 5, 9, a little later, there are others gathered around the throne and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why is Jesus worthy of our praise? Well, first, why is he worthy of our Lord of being acknowledged as Lord of our lives? First, because he's king, he's creator. But second, because he came and he lived and he died and he bought you with his blood that you might belong to God once again that your rebellion might be forgiven, that the wrath of God might be wiped clean in a way and that he absorbs it on your behalf and, and you can once again worship God as you were made. That we can join with others and, and say, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then to join in with still others who say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. How many of us, would we say our lives, we, we believe on Jesus, Savior, yes, but we really have submitted ourselves to him as Lord. And these declarations of worship and praise and worth come out of not just our mouths in song, but out of our actions in livelihood, out of the choices that we make and the things that we do, that we declare along with all of these others that Jesus is Lord. You see, we... we this isn't just a, a call to say it. This is a call to live it. To make it a confession, not just out of your mouth, but in everything that we do. This is what we're called to as Christians. This is what we're made for. So the, the, the question for all of us is, when or how will you acknowledge Jesus as Lord? Everyone, scripture tells us at some point, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, ruler, king, worthy of all praise and honor and wisdom and glory and riches and power and strength. Everyone will declare it, but the question is, will you declare it now, willingly, in submission, giving your life over to him, that he might save you and you might be in relationship with the one true God, or will you do it on the day of judgment? As he forces your knee to the ground and destines you for an eternity, that you earned for yourself through your own sinfulness and rejection of him as Lord? When and how will you acknowledge Jesus as Lord? Brothers and sisters, friends, if you are not saved, the, the hope would be that today would be the day where you begin with all of your heart and life to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, and it doesn't stop until the day you see him face to face. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, and Savior, made him king of your life, acknowledged your sin and your rebellion against God, and accepted his free gift, the sacrifice of himself that paid the price for your rebellion and your sin, and, and freed you from the wrath and judgment of God, received that for yourself and said, yes, I know that you lived and died and rose again for me to pay for my sin, and I submit to you as king of my life. If you've never done that, it's as simple as this, Romans 10, 9. 
be willing to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, to stand up with your life and your words and say, he's king of my life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean, oh yeah, he came back to life, cool. It means that you understand that he lived and he died a humiliating death to pay for your sins and he rose again on the third day to prove that he really is God incarnate and can forgive those who would believe on him as savior. That's what it means to, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead is to believe that everything prior to that was the work of God and necessary for you to be saved. That's what it takes. So if you've never, never come to a point of trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never been forgiven of your sin and brought into the family of God, you've never claimed for yourself the beautiful benefits of submitting yourself to him fully, would you consider that today? We're going to sing in a little while, and, and, and I want you to think... Why might I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Why might I need to submit to him? Because it's now or it's later. But if it's later, it will be in condemnation. If it's now, it will be an act that results in forgiveness. Christians, we are supposed to be putting Jesus first in every area of life. This is what it means. When we talk about how to be a Christian, how to be a Christian, put Jesus first in every area of your life. Now, it is so easy to say those words, even for me, but I will be the first to acknowledge it is so hard to live those words. It is not an easy calling, and yet it is simple. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of us can do it. We have such low expectations for ourselves as believers that we miss out on the glory of God in our lives. Look up to the, the, the hope and the standard that's been set for all of us and seek to live up to it and submit yourself to the power of God to change you, to help you, to grow you into submitting to him more. Here, here's a, a simple question from Jesus, Luke six forty six. He's talking with his disciples, the 12, and others who were following after him. And he asked them this simple question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? If you are a Christian, and I hope and believe that many of you are, why do you call him your Lord and yet treat him like he's your buddy? Why do you call him Lord and then not do the simple things that he says? It's time for you to do one of two things. Be honest and say, he's not really the king of my life. I need to evaluate my relationship with him. Or for you to say, I know he's my Lord and now I need to live like it. Why do you call him Lord, Lord, but don't do the things he says? So I want you to think about your life. First and foremost, for everyone, who or what is Lord? of your life who is the king who is ruling over you is it your work is it your addiction is it your spouse and I mean that in, in the kindest of ways 
but that we allow someone else to, to, to take rule, to take control of our lives? Is it, is it what we're watching, what we're listening to, what we're eating, what we're working toward? What is Lord of your life? Who's king of your life? If, it's, if the answer is anyone but Jesus, Christian, you're falling short of what it is to be a Christian and how to be a Christian. You're missing out on the blessings of really following after the king. The second question, what one thing can you submit to the lordship of Jesus this week? What one thing? If you were to change anything about your life this week, what one thing would you give into his hands and start doing what he says? Because you know it would revolutionize your life. You know it would, it would change your relationship with him. What one thing? It could be something as simple as, I'm going to download the Bible app and I'm going to read the verse of the day and try and remember it for the rest of the day and, and, and meditate on it. That would be revolutionary. I'm going to change what I'm listening to. I'm going to go into my car and I am going to like pick a new station and stop listening to the garbage from when I was in high school. I know all the words, but it takes me to a place that leads me astray from Jesus. Some of you might need to go quit a job, end a relationship, renew a relationship. I don't know what you submitting to the lordship of Jesus in just one area of your life looks like this week, but I challenge you to do it. If you call yourself a Christian, why do you call yourself a Christian? Why do you say he's your Lord and Savior and yet don't do what he says? And then the challenge is not just to end with one week and one thing, but the challenge is to find one thing per week until Jesus comes back and submit a new area of your life to his kingship on a regular basis. Now, it might be, Lord, this week I submit to you what I watch on television. Be king of my life. I will choose what you tell me to do. I will watch right things. I will not put before my eyes sinful things. And guess what you might be challenged to do next week? Lord, I submit to you what I watch on television. But don't give up submitting things to his lordship. It could be the third week. Lord, I submit to you what I watch on television. Could be that the fourth week, it's something like, Lord, I submit to your kingship what I watch on television. Does that make you a failure? Yes. But God loves us. And he waits for us and he sustains us. And he will empower us as we are faithful to seek his face. Yes, you're failing in that. But that is not the end of your salvation, nor is it the end of your relationship with God. There is hope beyond every failure as we continue to submit to him. One thing this week, one thing every week until you see Jesus face to face. Today, as we wrap up our time together, we've got a song. Uh, the worship team struggles to like this song because it's one of those songs that we've done a lot. And so maybe you struggle to like this song too. Maybe you love it. I don't really care because this song is essentially those verses that we read from Revelation 
those moments of worship and the declaration of the glory and lordship of Jesus Christ put into a song. Now, it's not perfect because no song this side of eternity and walking in perfect righteousness will be perfect, but it's a really good song. And, and so th- this song is, is a revelation song. Now, why is it a revelation song? Because it's from the book of, wait for it, Revelation. I said, wait for it. <sighs> it's from the book of Revelation. And, and I, I want you to do one of two things, maybe one of three things. Let me think about this. You may need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You may just need to submit to him as your Lord and Savior for the first time today. And so I want you to, to talk to someone. We've got, we've got two elders that I know can point you in the right direction right away. Steve, raise your hand. Don, raise your hand. If you can go to one of these two guys, you've got spiritual questions. You want to know what it is to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior? Go talk to them while this song plays. Like, like you don't have to come forward. You don't have to like dance a jig, speak in any weird languages. Nope. Go talk to Don and Steve. We'll help you figure it out. The rest of you, you say, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. I want to challenge you to do one of two things. To simply worship him wholeheartedly as he deserves over these next three or four minutes. Or if you feel like you're in such a state of rebellion against him, that instead of of, of pretending to worship and saying, you're my Lord, get on your knees where you're at or come up front and confess to him those things that you've been holding on to and worshiping instead of him. Either cut loose and worship with all that you are because you are in a good place with your Lord or get on your knees and try and confess where you know you have been worshiping other gods and other kings and other creators and get right with him as this song plays so that the next time you can worship him wholeheartedly. And guess what? Nobody's gonna judge you. And if anybody does judge you, let me know, I'll punch them. Yeah. You are so ready for church the next few weeks, aren't you? Is Pastor Michael gonna punch somebody? N- not really, but you know, it'll be a spiritual punch. It'll be like, pow, in the Holy Spirit. Come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, or worship Him with all that you are, or get on your knees and get right with your king.